Everybody, happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Mumbrella's one-on-one podcast series. I'm your host and the editor of Mumbrella, Neil Griffiths. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the first two episodes. Last week, we were joined by Eric Banner and the cast of The Dry 2. And the week before, we were joined by the former Nike CMO and one of the headliners at this year's Mumbrella 360 conference, Greg Hoffman. Before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to remind everyone that the full program for the ComsCon 2024 event has been announced. You can check out mumbrella.com.au for the full details on that. And also the entries for the 2024 Umbrella Awards are now open. It's taking place at the Star in Sydney on the 1st of August 2024. You can submit your entries right now by heading to mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella Awards. And of course, we've had a lot of big stories on the Mumbrella website this week. None bigger this week than the story surrounding Kia Australia written by one of our great journalists, Kalila Welch. Head over to mumbrella.com.au right now and check that out. Or you can do it right after you listen to this episode because I am so excited to announce this week's guest and introduce them as none other than the co-founder of Thinkabell, Adam Ferrier. So I was lucky enough to be a part of CRA's Herd Conference earlier this month in Sydney. And Adam actually was one of the speakers on the day. He was actually the first session of the day and he delivered what was probably the strongest and most powerful message. And I won't get into it right now because we do talk about that in this episode. But as well as talking about everything in the podcast and in audio world, we discussed Adam's background and his work with Thinkabell. We've talked about some PR crises that have happened lately. Obviously, the Woolworths saga has happened this week. And Adam even took us on a health journey. He's walking thousands of steps every day and we're so proud of him. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Adam Ferrier on the one-on-one podcast series. As we record this, all of 50 seconds ago, you were hustling through, I- I'm assuming, the Figabell offices, right? Yeah, I am. It's um, It's been a busy morning um, and uh, we've got a couple of things on and it's very, ah, it's just a typical morning. Yeah. But yeah, all good. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Adam. Again, we've only started this two, three weeks ago, um, and I, I reached out to you last week because I thought it'd be great to have you on for a few reasons, which we'll get into in a little bit, but we might just start off with a little, this is your life moment. Um, so for the people listening, maybe the uninitiated, just tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself and your background in the industry. Sure. I'll start with yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I walked, I walked 30,000 steps. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm really stoked about. So um, at the moment, I'm on a real health kick, and I had no idea um, that losing weight was as simple as um, eating less and exercising more. Mm. So I've been doing that, and that's been really cool. But then if you go back a little bit, I um, co-founded Thinkabell in 2017. Its proposition is Measured Magic, which is Marketing Sciences Meets High for Creativity, you go back a bit before that, uh, co-founded uh, a company called Naked in Australia, uh, which had a kind of a behavior change philosophy. If you go back a bit before that, I was in brand consultancy and um, just before that, I was in the prison system working as a psychologist. Um, before that, I got degrees in clinical psych in um, identifying the underlying constructs of cool people, mm. uh, which I try to think of the most commercialized way I could possibly do my thesis in and so I did it what makes people cool and um, I got a marketing degree as well and then before that I uh, I grew up in Perth in Western Australia. The jump between what makes people cool and working 
with prison inmates. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was, uh, so I always wanted to be a consumer psychologist and I got sidetracked into forensic psychology basically because it was also really interesting. So I worked in the prison system uh, for quite a few years in New South Wales at the at Long Bay, MRRC and over on a few other jails. Um, and I, when I was there, I thought, shit, I really want to get back into consumer psych. I thought, what can I do my thesis in? Um, you know, what's a really commercial application that's going to land me a job? And I thought, I'll identify what makes people cool because marketers want to know that. And so I, I did my thesis um, and we brought it down to five factors that make people cool, um, which are um, self-belief and confidence, defying convention, understated achievement, caring for others and connectivity um but yeah that it's and the older the older i get uh i was going to say the older i'm fatter but i am losing weight now so hey older, no man who walks thirty thousand steps a day is fat uh, totally man right how <laughs> all, all i've got to do now is keep it up all i've got to do now is find an extra four hours a day to walk wait is is today the first day you've walked thirty thousand? uh yesterday yesterday was the first day i've achieved that goal but my graph, my walking graph, last year I was averaging 7,000 steps a day. I'm now averaging about 18,000 steps a day. Wow. I mean, that's pretty impressive because what is, is the average 7 or 10 that you're, the, the, you're encouraged to walk, average day? I think you're encouraged to walk 10,000 steps a day. Interestingly, the reason why it's 10,000 is because the character uh, for 10,000 in Japan looks a lot like walking feet. And so they decided that 10,000 uh, would be the number to go for because the character looks like um, a pair of walking feet. Yeah, so wow. there's not a lot of science around it. I think what they're trying to communicate, though, is walk a lot. But you know what I'm really interested in is the fact that I've just went through my whole career and the most interesting thing that you you found out of all about was, was my step count. <laughs> <laughs> which is a very humbling, humbling Hey, hey look, 10,000 is a lot. Like, I, I can do the 10,000, but, like, that that's pretty far. 30,000? Yeah. Forget about cool. the degrees. 30,000 steps in a day is impressive. Yeah, 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 Where yeah, are you yeah, walking, yeah, yeah, yeah. out of exactly. curiosity? Where are you walking to get 30,000? Well, I live in, uh, in St Kilda in Melbourne, and so yesterday I dropped my son off to school and mm -hmm. then walked back, and he rode. And then I walked to Docklands for a meeting and then walked back from Docklands. Um, and then when I'm walking, I can just make phone calls or be on Zoom meetings or listen to um, podcasts. Yeah, right. I mean, unfortunately for you, I'm in Sydney, so none of that geography makes any sense to me. But I'm assuming it's a, it's a long distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about, <laughs> I don't know, 20, 20 25 k's well off. Well, that's impressive. Yeah, thank you. All right, look, I could make this whole I, I don't mind. Sorry, I don't mind if we spend the entire time <laughs> together talking about my weight loss journey because it's really, I'm really, it's really top of mind. I mean, before we move topics, is there anything else you want to get across on your weight loss journey that you want to share with the listeners? I now know what OMAD is. So I'm also OMAD. What's OMAD? I don't know. Only one meal a day. Oh, you're doing, I think like Bruce Springsteen and Chris Martin do that. Uh, well, Bruce Springsteen is cool. <laughs> I don't know about Chris Martin, but the fact that if Bruce is doing it, it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So it really is, what, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? What's the go-to? Dinner. Interesting. What, what's the rule in, like, coffees and waters? Yeah, well, lots of coffee uh, yeah. because it's a diuretic. <laughs> 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 and, uh, 
and then and then one massive meal at the end of it. Sorry, sorry, one more tip. Yeah, lots of seaweed, lots of um dried seaweed. It's really good. okay. Yeah. Okay, well, look, I'm inspired now to start a new health podcast series with Mumbrella. So we'll get you back on, and you can be the first ah, guest right. to talk all about that. <laughs> we can talk all about marketing in that. One. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, before we before we get into the the main talking points of the podcast today, um. Obviously, Thinkabell are, are one of the more respected groups in the industry. Um, but it, obviously, you didn't start it that long ago in hindsight. Can you maybe tell a little bit about Thinkabell, what you guys do uh, and, and the work behind it, and maybe why it's it's gotten such a, a wonderful reputation in really a short amount of time? Yeah, I reckon that... Thank you for um, for that question. It's obviously a question I'd enjoy answering. Um so a couple, before we started it, we wanted to work out a strong proposition. We looked at our clients' needs, which were there's loads and loads of opportunities, lots of different ways to build a brand these days, but it's much more accountability. Um, so you need to be accountable with every dollar spent. Um, and so we wanted a proposition that kind of met those two conflicting needs around opportunity versus accountability. And so we came up with a proposition of marketing sciences meets hardcore creativity, which was also a truth from the founder's perspective. We've got people with marketing science background, we've got people with creative backgrounds. We gave out some tight nomenclature, which is measured magic. And we thought that sounded really good. Got a good logo, good visual design to bring that to life. for a dance of Thinker with Tinkerbell's wings. Build some nice rituals around it internally. So we start each week with Measured Monday. We end each week with Magic Hour. We've got a design system, which is around complementary contradictions and all this kind of stuff. All of it brings Measured Magic to life. Then on how to deliver Measured Magic, we have three things of which we have a four-leaf clover, which is our process, but Probably the most interesting things are Thinker Tinker model, which sounds a bit silly, but it's actually pretty cool in that we pair a thinker and a tinker, and those two people run every account with a squad around them. The thinker is a cross between a strategist and a account service person. The tinker is a cross between a creative and a production person. And those two are the key team. So the key team is the combination of those two people. And between those two people, they account for enough skill set to solve most problems. And then if they need the squad to help solve a problem, they can. It also means uh, there's not layers and layers of account service slowing things down. It means the creators aren't hidden in a, in a room at the back of the office. And there's no, we don't need internal briefs slowing things down. We don't need different departments and silos slowing things down. So the whole thing works in a much more agile sense. Uh, and it's good. Then the other thing is we've mushed together a whole lot of different services. So we've mushed together creative services, strategic services, media planning and buying, and media. And they're all kind of just, you know, I'm just, I'm using my hands here just, just, just to say they're mushed together. And yeah. so it's a really agile, interesting model. Traditional agencies are very are slow and inefficient with their time, and they have difficulty running at different speeds. So PR agencies are fast twitch, media, media agencies are kind of medium, creative agencies are quite slow. Um, and so the agency is able to, with that agile system, we're able to work at different rhythms and different speeds depending on what the problem is. So it's okay. a really, really, it's a really good model. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good segue into the, the talking point here, which is about podcasting audio. Um, so preface this, I actually caught you last week at the CRA's Herd event in Sydney, um, oh, yeah. and, and you were the first session of the day, funnily enough. 
Um, I, I won't give it all away because I know that it's it was kind of a, a treat for people in the room. But you kind of start off the first five, ten minutes not on stage. The lights were off. I actually thought there must have been a, a, a fault in the lighting or the mic because, again, it was the first session of the day. You kind of kicked it straight off and I thought maybe there's just an issue and Adam's just waiting for them to fix it and then he'll just get on stage and do it. But it was all kind of part of your plan and, and strategy and point of the session, which is about that um, the visual content can distract us. Yeah. When, when we're left alone just to listen and to engage with what we're engaging in, it makes it so much better. And you gave some examples, you know, you used NWA's Fuck the Police, you used... Uh, the national tiles ad, which is still stuck in my head from last week. Um, it was really, really interesting, but I might just let you take the mic here because again, it was such a fascinating session and I'd love for, for you to tell us a bit about it. Uh, well, thank you. And um, not to talk about my weight loss journey again, but um, <laughs> a big part All of angles come back to the weight loss journey, no matter what. <laughs> a big part of that has been listening to, um, has been listening to podcasts. And um, and I've been completely immersed in them and absolutely loving it. And as I've lost a fair bit of weight, I'm finding myself having, conversely as well, a little bit. I just just feel kind of a bit more in touch with um, myself and my creative output and so on. Mm. And so I got asked to speak at the event, and um, and then they started taking me through some visuals and some PowerPoint about the power of radio. I thought it was really ironic that they were using PowerPoint to talk about the power of audio as a medium. And so I w imagined what a presentation would be like if I wasn't, if there was no one on stage, it was just a sound file. And I kind of got excited by that as an idea. So it was a 20 minute talk. The first 15 minutes was just a sound file that I created talking about the power of um, audio but then i thought what's the point of creating a sound file just talking about the power of audio and make people feel it and so i challenge people to look people in the eye and um listen to um you know that song uh, is i think it's called stroking stroking uh anyway you can anyway, and then i challenge people to look a male in the eye and i played the misogyny speech from the julia gillard's misogyny speech while people were staring at and while women were staring at men in the eye mm -hmm. and then played a bit of fuck the police and stuff and then it all linked to um, an interesting piece of research done by University College London that showed that if you ask people what they find more engaging, they'll say they'll, they find video content more engaging. But if you look at their galvanic skin responses and heart rates and so on, their body's experiencing more emotion when they're listening to stuff rather than looking at stuff. And that's kind of fucking interesting, right? That's kind of, kind of cool. Um, and so, um, so I just wanted people to experience that, and you know, and that was that was good. I enjoy, I really enjoyed doing that. Though. I enjoyed taking a different approach to the regular presentation and doing something interesting. What did CRA say when you said, "Hey, so for most of my talk, I don't want to be on stage"? Were they okay with that? I really like CRA, but um, and they're lovely and they're really good to work with. But I originally just didn't want to. I didn't want to be on stage at all. But they said, "No, you have to come on stage." <laughs> right. And so I came on stage at the end, but then I spoke about the fact that how disappointing it was for the audience to have to see me on stage, whereas yeah. much better just to the sound file. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because traditionally, and now we'll talk about my health journey when I eat mountains mm -hmm. of kale and lettuce, 
Um, when I used to be in the gym, I would always listen to probably more rock, heavy metal music. But then I started getting into podcasting, you know, and I can listen to anything from Conan O'Brien to Joe Rogan, and I just find that I'm more engaged in what I'm listening to. But then I remember, you know, when Spotify announced the deal with Joe Rogan and they had the video option there, I remember I didn't really give a shit about that because I was like, I'm listening to the podcast. Why am I going to sit down and watch it as well? I did found it, especially I kind of realized in your exercise at that herd conference that I was like, oh, wow, this, this is so true that you find yourself way more immersed in what you're engaging with when you're just left alone. If you're asking me to, to look and to laugh and to feel things while listening, it, it just can be a bit too much i find especially like, again in the gym i used to i would have like a youtube video there while I'm, I'm training and and look at the video but now it's so much better when i'm just put the headphones in and just go for what you're doing yeah i i, I well i agree and on my uh, weight loss journey occasionally i will uh, watch little videos um um but i prefer just to yeah you know, just to listen to stuff and um yeah anyway there you go what do you what do you make of it now? Say when we think about, um, I guess a lot of TV talk shows, they're more and more moving to YouTube. Do you see that as a positive thing in the in the theme of audio needing to be more prevalent? Do you think it's a good move? Do you think that this is a phase of you know, like Piers Morgan just announced that he's cutting his Sky News show, it's going to go straight to YouTube. Is that a, a phase move? Do you think, or is that just more indicative of where we're going in the digital age? Uh, it's a good question. I reckon um, I reckon video content and really good dramas and narratives and stories, the collective power of knowing you're having a shared experience with a whole lot of other people mm. that, you know, back in the day it was going to the movies. But um, today I, I still think, you know, when the latest series drops and you want to watch that and you're collectively watching that, you know you've got a common talking point. I reckon that's really, really important and massively powerful. And obviously, uh, it's a massive um, industry. And I think that's that has a role. But I think if you've got a podcast and you're dropping that onto YouTube, then I don't see the point. I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's a mm. distraction. We have a. I've got a podcast called Black T-shirts, which is Double XL Creativity for the Business. So it's all about exploring the creative process. And we're into our third series now, and we've resisted the temptation to put that onto video because we've seen no role. For it. We've seen that, you know, we've got some people that put it on and listen to it. We don't want that. That doesn't need to be a, a YouTube channel. Um, I mean, you obviously you have your own podcast as well. Do you find when you're being asked to film a recording, do you get kind of antsy about that? Do you? There is obviously a lot of people who enjoy the film part of it, but yourself personally, when we think about engaging with the content, do you hate it when someone's like, all right, Adam, we're going to record this today, so make sure you look nice and do all yeah, the fun stuff? I, I, I do, and I do, I remember one podcast I did for somebody else's podcast. I didn't know it was being recorded, and I was eating a soup during the whole <laughs> podcast, and so, and I had no idea it was being video recorded, but it's, it's just me eating this fucking soup. And it just looks so ridiculous. Um, and even right now, right, we the lighting in this room, I mean, now is stupid because there's one fluoro light in a very dark little room and stuff. So um, I prefer if it's an audio thing like a podcast, so I prefer it just to stay as audio. And then if it's video, 
then do it well. Don't just do it shitly. Mm. It takes with yeah. So let's just keep this as a um as an audio experience. I mean, as in regards to advertising and marketing, I think I don't know if it was you. I think it was a session later on in the day at the at the herd conference, and someone said, you know, she couldn't remember a recent ad that kind of stuck with you, but we all still know the number to Lubemobile. We know the number to Pizza Hut. You know, Grey Union, which is now Event Cinemas, like that's what I want. Like everyone knows those jingles, and again, that comes back to the idea of I couldn't tell you what happens in those ads, but I know the jingle, I know the song. Yeah, I reckon what's really interesting, um, and one of the things that marketing sciences I reckon has yet to work out is what's the half life of an idea, what's the half half life of a residual impression in the consumer's mind. So if you watch a TV ad, the half-life of that might be it goes into your head and the decays after a week and then you have to see the ad again to get the impression in your head again. So for when the category trigger occurs, you remember that brand versus the other. But if you can create an earworm or a jingle or something that sticks or a big kind of three-dimensional experience that gets you immersed into something, maybe the half-life of that thing lasts a lot longer and so you don't need to kind of top, top it up as frequently um and so um a jingle feels like a very cost-effective way to have an idea that has a very long half-life in the consumer's mind and so mm. it, I'm, it still blows me away that it's not done more often i mean you mentioned there that this is something marketing science hasn't gone into yet and I know this is a very broad question, so I apologize for putting you on the spot. But is there something happening in the industry now? Maybe it's more on the media side. Maybe it's more on the marketing. Maybe it's both. Is there something that you're seeing now that you have a genuine gripe with or you think potentially is an untapped area? You know, there's there's room to improve. Is there anything that you're seeing where you think that we're just missing opportunities here? Yeah, well, two things. Number one, I think, um, or three things. So most of the metrics for media effectiveness are done assuming it's a passive media landscape. And so we get metrics like attention, salience, awareness, and stuff like that. We don't, you know, the whole marketing communications landscape is now obviously interactive. We've got experiences, UX and CX, and, uh, you know, ideas you can pass on and play with and interact with and all that stuff. But none of those things are taken into account for media metrics. So again, so, so is it more valuable to get people to interact with your message rather than just see your message? And how do we measure that? I reckon it's really interesting. Um, the second thing I find really interesting is that there's still no independent evidence that any form of pre-testing uh, adds any value whatsoever. And yet the pre-testing industry is just going nuts. And, you know, I look at the, um, you know, um, and so I would love marketing sciences to come out more aggressively and say pre-testing have never, I, we don't know if pre-testing works or not. It's never been independently validated to to, to add value. Um, and if it, and if it, and if they can't say that, then help the industry work out how to make how to do it so it does add value. Um, and then the third way um, was this half-life kind of thought. So um, how do we measure how long? A brand, how what's the impact of a really of something that sticks in your head and lasts for a long time, versus a um, a shit piece of communication that is branded but just fades away completely? And is that just down to luck, or is there a way to create brand impressions that last longer in people's heads? Mm. 
Nate, our deputy editor, he spoke to Mark Ritson at the Herd event. I'm sure you've seen or heard that he, Mark Ritson, you know, the actual quote is he thinks marketing science is shit. Do you no, agree with it? Yeah, no. He, no Mark, so Mark is, um, Mark says things to be sensational. <laughs> He's just, so he doesn't, Mark doesn't believe that. Never walked 30,000 steps in his life. <laughs> and then the other thing is, uh, I, um, I have a lot of respect for Martin. I think he knows, but um, sure. he he contradicted himself in that article in Umbrella as well, where he started talking about you know good marketing science and and so forth as being having good answers, and he started quoting Aaron Burr Bass as what they know and don't know and so forth. He doesn't think it's shit. He might think it's a bit limited. Uh, he might think lots of it's not applied enough uh, or have real world applications enough, all of which is really valid. But um, I think what's really happened, I think what Mark has done a particularly good job at is taking the world of marketing sciences, which has been completely disconnected from real-world marketing for a lot of time and made it um, much more applicable. He's done an amazing job at taking marketing sciences and making it useful. Hmm. Um, well, I don't really have a segue to get to this next topic, but it is a timely one given what's happened this week. And that is, I want to talk about PR missteps by CEOs. Uh, you know, as we record this, it is a, a Thursday morning. It's a couple of days removed from Brad Banducci's now infamous Four Corners interview with Woolworths. He's since resigned. Um, just before we get into the, the thick of that, what was your reaction to that interview, the news he stepped down, and the reaction by Woolworths who have since claimed that this was always in the plan? Brad was always leaving. They had a succession plan. The, the interview, the Australia Day backlash, that is all irrelevant. What are your thoughts to that? Um, so, so there's been um, a few CEOs lately who um, fallen uh, fallen on that sword um, as a result of or and and bad media has been at the at around the same time as they've fallen on that sword, right? So they've um so I don't know if it's causal, but it's certainly strong correlational evidence that the two things have been related. And I reckon what's really interesting is um, is how influential PR is now on C-suite executives and their careers and how quickly or how, how many times they're seeing people get it really wrong in a PR sense and they're having really serious consequences for people's careers. Whereas if you get an ad really wrong, it doesn't normally have that much of an impact on your career. But if you get, a, if you get the PR wrong, then people's careers impact immediately. So I think the the way that people's individual careers are treated through um, stratcoms or PR or whatever you want to call it is is really vital. Um, the second thing is, I wonder if people are um, spending too much time getting trained in the right way to talk about things, and if that's creating anxiety or if that's making people more jumpy or more nervous. Um, as opposed to speaking uh, from the heart a little bit more. So if, if, if I get trained on how to answer you now, and if somebody knew I was going to answer this question, they might, they might say, oh, mate, make sure you say this, make sure you say this, make sure you say this, and I'll be a little bit more anxious about what comes out of my mouth. That'll make me feel a little bit more wooden. That'll make me feel uh, a little bit more attacked if you ask a penetrating question. And so... Um, it might be the time just to um, try to chill out a little bit um, 
and try to get people to speak from the heart a little bit more about what's going on. Just focusing on that Four Corners interview a couple of days ago, and if you haven't seen it, um, Brad was kind of pressed on a particular question. He answered it. He tried to backtrack from it. And when he was told, no, you're on the record, we're, we're going to keep going, he, he walked out. He did come back later, but he did walk out initially. When you watched that interview and just going off what you said before about um, you know, PR maybe giving the message to the CEO, do you think that comes down to, and this is not to, to bash on Brad at all, but do you think that's more the PR did a bad job of prepping him for this interview? Or do you think Brad was just inept at answering the questions the way they needed to be answered? No idea. Absolutely no idea. I don't know. Brad never met him. Don't know the PR team behind him. Never met them. So I've got no idea. And to comment on that one particular thing would be uh, would be really really silly. But I mm. do think in general, uh, I, uh, you know, I think in general my kind of my previous points might apply in some situations where people are getting themselves wound up before the interview starts. Not because of the actual interview. They're 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 taking to they're taking it. Um, they've, they, they've got an agenda rather than just answering the questions and, and being a little bit more transparent. So would you say that if, if you were in that position, you would have a more relaxed approach between PR and CEOs as far as this is what you need to say, this is what you need to stay away from. You're saying less is more as far as being able to get a positive message out there for the brand. Um, I reckon I reckon the, the role of, I reckon the, I reckon the role of the, Brand and the business and the consumer have become much more closer together. So all the businesses we work in are now operating in glass boxes where you can see the internal machinations through um, social media, through the employees being armed with social, you know, having a voice, through 24-hour news cycles and so on. So the business is no longer divorced from the consumer. The two things that kind of have much more interplay and so there's much more transparency needed. And so, therefore, you're going to have to just speak to the truth of the situation more often. So, if you're, um, in general, if you're delivering higher prices, and just be honest about why you're delivering higher prices, you know what I mean? Or, or, or find a way to talk about that. Maybe don't refute that you're delivering higher prices or don't blame external circumstances that aren't necessarily right. Just talk about that for, as a general example. And I just reckon I reckon businesses just have to find authentic ways to communicate that from the CEO, super importantly, right through the system. Yeah. I mean, speaking of press tours, I got to say, I think you need to do one based on your LinkedIn for the Australia Day post that you've been doing. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're still going as of today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, yeah, so... Um, so- Maybe preface it with what it is before this is, we. This is really interesting, right? This is an. I, this is. I find it fascinating, and also a lot of good points. <laughs> we we um so our agency for years we've been on a journey. We do um, allyship training with Evolve uh, communities who help us understand um, uh, Indigenous Australia and um, and Indigenous Australians' story and narrative and. Um, and so we're kind of we kind of want to get this right. And so years ago, and so you know, we've all got different views on what to do on Australia Day within the agency. But basically, what we do now on Australia Day is we say anyone can have any day off they want that week. Um, and if you want to work on Australia Day, you can. If you want to take it off, you can. And it's up to the individual. 
And at the moment, we're pretty happy with that. But during this time, uh, Sean and uh, Kev, two um, tinkers in our agency, came up with an idea called Any Other Day for Australia Day. And they wanted to do a year-long campaign to suggest and basically say any other day is better than Australia Day to celebrate Australia Day because on January 26th, it kind of marks the invasion of Australia and so forth. And so we had a good conversation around it and we thought, oh, this is a really interesting idea. How do we, how do we start this? And then, um, and then we couldn't get to an answer. And so then I emailed them and I said, look, I'm just going to start posting these, these thoughts on, on LinkedIn. Are, are you okay with that? And they said, yeah, cool. Um, go for it. And so at the, between the three of us, we just keep on coming up with other, other thoughts. Um, a lot of them, sometimes I'll ask them for a thought. Most, a lot of the time, I'll just write what I'll have the boss can kind of think of a reason why that particular day should be a good day to celebrate Australia Day rather than January 26. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see what happens, right? So the, so it's just an idea. It's kind of like, think of it as like it's a campaign from Thinkabell to try to change um, change the day. Um, but it might stop next week because I get really bored and start wanting to, you know, do more steps and listen to more podcasts, or it might become a massive campaign um, that the whole of Australia gets behind, or it might land somewhere in between. And we're not sure, but at the moment, I feel I'm enjoying putting out reasons to change the date, and it's something I personally really believe in, and the agency probably does. Mm. Um, and so, see what happens. Not sure. I find it. I mean, I love it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a really cool way of you know talking about the topic without it becoming too contentious and too political. Um, but I do think that by the time you reach 50,000 steps, you will become smug and arrogant and not care about anything else except your daily walks. <laughs> well, that, every, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what we've got to compete with. But by then, <laughs> maybe somebody else will, um, will, be, doing, will be doing the posts and, um, and that'll be good. Yeah. Well, Adam, before you go, um, we always like to end this on kind of a, a message you would like to give to the industry. You know, it's, late February, um, but there's obviously a long way to go in 2024. Is there a particular message you want to give to the industry, the media and marketing um, world of of something to look forward to, something to work on, maybe something to aspire to? Um, I reckon all the really interesting brands in the world at the moment um, have a good kind of interesting proposition, but more importantly, kind of behave in a way that brings that brand to life and they kind of just find their own rhythm and they find their own way of communicating which may or may not be which may or may not be through traditional media channels and i just want people to focus i I like the industry to focus more on how the brand behaves rather than what we want to say and i think it's kind of really interesting that we're still kind of obsessed with messaging as opposed to how the how how the brand's can get attention, can get interest, can spark people's kind of imagination mm. by the things they do. And so I, I'm finding, I find that kind of liberating. Uh, the other thing I find really interesting at the moment is our agency is going through a journey of um, exploring ethics and um, understanding all the individuals, people's ethical frameworks and how that applies to the ethics of the agency as a whole. And we're doing that with uh, the Ethics Centre um, and... And, you know, the ethics of advertising and consumption in a world where um, 
that's chanting to shit is really interesting. So just leaning into that conversation and leaning into um, the ethics of what we do, I'm finding fascinating as well. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So um, thank you again, and we'll chat very soon. God bless. Thanks for that. A big thank you to Adam Ferrier for coming on this week's show. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you are listening to this episode from. And as always, head to mumbrella.com.au for more details on everything happening in the media and marketing world. I'm Neil Griffiths, and we'll talk next week. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.